For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn, people. Because you're tuned to the Ozarks' number one show about your money. Randy Floyd, founder of Floyd Financial Group, will be your guide for straight talk about living the life you deserve in retirement. Prepare to be empowered. Now, here's your show me the money host, Randy Floyd. Thanks so much. Welcome to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name is Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions. But of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Randy and Jake Floyd at Floyd Financial Group. Once again, Randy, I'll start with you. How are you doing this fine Saturday morning? Doing very well. Thank you much. Glad to hear that. And Jake, how's this Saturday treating you? You know, it's starting to feel more and more like spring here, but I think uh, this next week we're going to get maybe some cooler weather again, so I'm (laughs) excited. Yeah, well, that's one thing about spring, I guess, in this part of the country. A lot of parts of the country, actually, in the south here, is the fact that you cannot count on the weather being the same one day to another when it is the spring season. I mean, one day you'll have 70 degree temperatures, the next day it'll drop like 20 degrees. But nevertheless, the calendar says that spring cannot be far away, and I can't wait for that. On today's show, we've got a lot to talk about, gentlemen. These are some very important topics, and we're going to start off with one that I think we get a lot of in this practice, and that is people coming in and asking, how much do I need to retire? And really, Randy and Jake, that's sort of a hard question to answer because I would think it really depends, right? Yeah, it certainly does, Jeff. You know, everybody has a different idea of what retirement looks like. I I was uh, telling Jake, you know, earlier today, I said, for some people, retirement's 2,000 a month, and for some people, it's $50,000 a month, (laughs) and everything in between, right? So yeah, it really does depend on where we're starting, where we're coming from, what our lifestyle has been leading up to retirement. And so that's why we always say here, you know, there's not one size that fits all. And so we have to really sit down and go through the steps really to help people determine, you know, kind of where they are, what retirement's going to look like for them. And we want to know what it is they want to do so that we can design a plan accordingly for them. And when you say go through the steps, I mean, you ask people what they want to do in retirement, but what are the other questions that you ask? What are some of the other things that you need to know to determine exactly how much you'll need to retire? Yeah. So we got to look at, you know, where are, where are they with, you know, do they have a house payment? Do they have car payments? You know, do they have an emergency fund? How much money have they saved in their 401ks or IRAs? How much social security are they going to have? Do they have a pension potentially if they're one of those lucky 16% that still hang out there and have right. a potential for a pension? So all those things come into play. The other thing I would say too, you know, there's a, there's a lot of questions that people ask around. So how much of my current current salary do I need when I retire? Is it half, 75%, 80%, 90%, 100%? And, you know, I got to tell you, Jeff, my experience has been that generally people don't want to cut back when they get to retirement. No, they In don't. In fact, what they're thinking is, I want to live kind of the same that I have been, but sure. I just don't want to have to go to work, right? Is kind right. of where we get to. Well, you know, tomorrow is promise of no man or no woman. And I, and I really think that you should try to, you know, live for the day, do as much as you can and enjoy your life and enjoy retirement. And of course, in order to do that, I'm not going to say in order to do that all the time, but it does take money. There are some things that you can do that do not take a lot of money. But generally, I think when people retire, they think of themselves as being now free. They don't have that ball and chain around their ankle that was connected to the job for uh, so many years. and They want to do a lot of stuff. Do you find that people generally need more money up front in retirement the first few years? Or how do you figure how much someone needs at different stages of retirement? You know, Jeff, I think that that's a really important part of the discovery process that we use here when we're developing a plan. We have to understand who it is that we are developing a plan for before we can possibly develop the plan in a way that makes sense. So each person is different. We have people that come in that are income-rich and maybe don't have as much retirement assets saved up where they have a pension or a large social security or both. 
you know, so the answer to that question might be quite a bit different for them than it might be for somebody who has saved a lot in their 401k, but they have, you know, medium to small social security and no pension. So it's also going to depend on what they want to do with their time. You know, some people, and we've talked about on the show before that, you know, some people want to go fishing off the bank and, you know, their, their biggest expense of the week is going to be buying bait from Bass Pro. Right. You know, some people want to buy a, a three or $400,000 camper and go around the countryside. Yeah. Some people want to travel internationally. Some people, you know, don't really ever want to leave their back porch. Mm-hmm. And so it makes no sense to have the same plan for all those different types of people. So like you say on this show, and and I'll repeat it, it kind of depends. And I think understanding who we're working with is our number one priority. So a lot of times when people come in to sit down with us to develop a plan, the first meeting, we talk about a lot of things, including finance, but we talk about a lot of things that are not finance. You know, what's important to people? Do they have kids? Do they have grandkids? You know, where do they want to spend their time? And all those things are a factor into, you know, whether somebody would want money early on more or whether they would want to save it, pass it to their kids. You know, we have people kind of all over the spectrum there. Yeah. And when I was a little kid, you talked about fishing. My dad used to take me down to the creek and we would fish with a bamboo pole and a fishing line and night crawlers. And I really enjoyed that. And I think in retirement, I might want to do that. Now that doesn't cost too much, but if I want to take fishing expeditions into the Gulf of Mexico and go deep seawater fishing, that is a whole nother thing completely. We're talking with Randy and Jake here at Floyd Financial Group. We're talking about the big question, how much do I need to retire? I would imagine, too, that as you get older in retirement, that one big thing is going to come up that uh, really didn't present itself as much in the previous years, and that's going to be health care expenses. How do we try to figure out how much those are, and how can we plan for that? Yeah, that's a good question, Jeff. So, you know, when people get to retirement age, and especially when they hit 65, it's time to visit Medicare and figure out what in the world do I do with this? And for most people, they haven't really thought about it much. They start at about 64, getting all this stuff in the mail, right? It right. comes in. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, what on earth? And you just get more and more and more and more. And then you hear the guy on TV, are you getting all you deserve from your Medicare plan? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, and all that. Are you getting shortchanged? And so people have a lot of confusion there. It's kind of interesting. You know, we think about the fact that information can be powerful, but it can also be debilitating, right? right. Because if you can't put it in the right context, I mean, it can be very, uh, you can go, wow, I'm still scratching my head. I have all this information, but I don't know how to apply it. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to Medicare and getting signed up there, you really need somebody to help you with that. And as a lot of people know we have Tony Gossard that helps us a lot with that sort of thing for regular health insurance under 65. And then for those that are going to either be having a supplement or a Medicare Advantage plan. But once we get through that, you know, and Medicare is really designed for things we're going to get better from, not chronic illness. Right. I mean, it's going to help us pay for surgeries. It's going to do that colonoscopy that we need every five years. It's going to help us maybe with our, if we have diabetes or a surgery or, you know, whatever that may be. But if we end up chronically ill, you know, Medicare doesn't go too far. And we have to start thinking about, you know, what happens if I do end up needing home health care, assisted living, or maybe finally nursing home? And you're right. We need to be thinking about, okay, on the back end of this, you know, as we hit the 80 to 85, maybe the 90 year mark, you know, how am I going to fund health care? And that's one of the big considerations. So one of the things we look at when building these plans is we want people to still maintain a sizable nest egg. In fact, we really don't want them to spend down their money very much so that we have some options should they, you know, that uh, critical chronic illness befall them. And as you said, Medicare, when you get to be 65, Part A is free, but Part B is not free. The Part B supplement there, you know, those are some of the things that you have to figure with health care expenses. And then if you get the D, the drug card, that's even more and that has a deductible. Basically, these things can creep up on you. I think a lot of people really don't realize that Medicare isn't a totally free health insurance plan. You do have to do your part with that as well, too. You talked about assisted living and you talked about, you know, this end of life care and so forth. Nursing homes are not getting any cheaper, are they? 
No, right here in the last bastion of sanity, it's about $7,000 a month now, which just blows my mind. It's crazy as to how much it can be now because... You know, it used to be two hundred bucks a day. That's six thousand. But now we're seeing two twenty-five and two fifty right. creep up. You know, even for semi-private rooms, and so it's a major consideration. And as we've talked about on this show before, we can help people to you know get set up to navigate and plan for that. I'm not saying that's the be-all, end-all, but we need to bear in mind that. It could happen and that, you know, really our experience doing long-term care planning and helping people pay for long-term care over the last, you know, 20 years or so now has been that, you know, there's about a 50-50 chance that we're going to have spend some time in a nursing home. So, Jeff, if you and I are sitting across the table mm-hmm. and I pull out the coin, yep. heads, it's me. Tails, it's you, but I have a two-tailed coin, so I ain't going. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I love that. Well, you're in such good health, Randy. I mean, we've talked before about all the things that you do and, you know, how you keep yourself fit and everything. And I just had a checkup from the doctor and all of my blood work went right down the middle there. I'm completely normal, too. So the two of us may, be, may be battling it out well into our 90s here. And uh, thank God for that. But we are doing our part. We're talking about how much money you need to retire. You know, some people say if I've got a million dollars, that's going to be enough in retirement. But as you said, Randy, I guess it depends upon what you want to do in in retirement. Here in the last bastion of sanity, if you have saved $1 million for retirement, Randy, let's just pick a number. Let's say that you're 65 years of age. We expect you to live maybe another 25 years, something like that, maybe 20 years. Is a million dollars enough? Well, again, it depends on your appetite for spending (laughs) and what you need, right? So, you know, think of it this way, you know, if you have a million dollars and you can average a 5% return on your money, that's $50,000 a year, you know, combine that with social security. uh, And if you are lucky enough, like I said, to have a pension and things before, you know, I mean, is, is that enough? And the only way we know that is we have to go through the budgeting process and really look at, you know, what does it take to keep the wolf away from the door, keep the family fed and insured, that sort of thing. And then what do we want for fun money on top of that is really the kind of the, the way we look at that. And then, like I said, we don't really want to get to where we're spending too much money. Right. And sometimes I have to be the bearer of bad news. I have to tell people, well, you know, we've been spending a little bit too aggressively and here we are, we're in a down market for the last 14 months. And so, you know, sometimes people come in and they're saying, you know, my balance is lower than I would have liked for it to be. And, you know, there's sometimes, in fact, I had a guy not long ago in here, he says, but you don't understand. I want 8% all the time. And I said, (laughs) well, you have to understand that that's not possible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that, just, that world doesn't exist. And so we have to build plans that account for, you know, bad financial weather, for great financial weather, the things that happen to people that we don't count on, that we that we don't want to happen, you know, but we look at those things and we kind of factor those things in. We have to plan for all that stuff. And just because I want a 6% or an 8% or a 10% return doesn't mean it's out there just for the grabbing. If it were, we'd all be billionaires. <laughs> That's exactly right. I'm surprised sometimes the things that people want, but I learned a long time ago that you always don't get what you want. Sometimes you've got to settle a little bit. So how much do I need to retire? Well, the answer to that question is it depends. It depends upon what you want to do, how much money you have, and uh, what you do with that money. Next segment, we're going to talk about cash flow in retirement. But if you've got questions about how much you need to retire, you want to sit down with Randy and Jacob Floyd Financial Group and discuss that question and a lot more, too. We're offering a complimentary, no-cost, no-obligation financial plan, a financial review with uh, Randy and Jacob Floyd Financial Group. To take advantage of this offer, call 4178 4178- 889-7233 to get yours. 417-889-7233. Again, no cost, no obligation. Most importantly, there is no judgment. Just a friendly conversation to get things started for you on the road to a successful retirement. 417-889-7233 or online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for break, gentlemen. We'll be right back to talk about cash flow and retirement and more when our show continues here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. People of the Ozarks, step away from the fishing pole and prepare to be shown the money because we're back with more Straight Talk with Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about what is financial freedom? Is it all about cash flow or what is it? 
Well, I would think that that's the case, Randy and Jake. I would think that if you got a million dollars and you just hold it and there's no flow from that, it doesn't do you much good. I mean, income is like water. You just can't live without it. So let's talk about cash flow a little bit, do a little bit more of a deep dive here. When you do these financial plans, how do you figure out cash flow? How do you figure out how much a particular investment is going to throw off? Yeah, that's a good question, Jeff. So, you know, let me say this, that is not a static answer. So as we know, asset classes, situations, interest rates, in fact, since we're kind of going to talk about interest rates for a second, I'm going to throw this out. You know, Jerome Powell said last earlier this week or last week, whatever, however you want to look at it, yeah. Tuesday, that he thinks that interest rates are headed higher and probably higher than expected to get things under control. So one of the things that's different today than we have seen, looking back over our shoulder, in fact, Jeff, we've talked about it on here where, you know, banks were paying, and I won't name the worst offenders here in town, but anyway, <laughs> some of them were down as low as one-tenth of one percent they were paying people to deposit money. Yeah. I actually saw one that was 0. 0.05, which means five one hundredths of one percent. <laughs> and we had a lady that had two hundred and some thousand dollars invested in this one place, and she said, "I got an interest payment of seven dollars and fifty cents on oh my gosh. You know, so we know that interest rates have been extremely low. Yeah. And of course, starting last March in 2022 was when Jerome Powell started to raise interest rates to try to slow down the economy. And he has raised rates now to where they are, banks are paying four and a half to 4.75% to borrow money. So all of a sudden, what are you seeing now? You're seeing that money market accounts are starting to pay a little bit more money. You're seeing CDs are paying a little bit more money. And so the reason I went through that little deal there is because nothing stays the same and everything is constantly changing. So we have to be sure that we build plans that can change and will change with the environment. I think one of the things too, Jeff, that we look at is we're constantly reassessing the risk versus reward profile of things. So to Randy's point, you know, 15 months ago, money markets were, you know, giving you 0% interest or pretty close in a lot of cases. And now there's money markets out there north of four and a half. And, you know, you have to weigh that and say, hey, if I can get four and a half percent with no risk to my principal and 100% liquidity, why would I take the risk of putting money in the stock market? And, you know, especially when things seem very tenuous and there's a lot of, a lot of news going on with China and other places, you know, why would I do that? And the answer to that question is, well, you might not, you know, depending on your situation, your goals, your needs for cash flow, it's very possible that, you know, a four and a half percent money market looks very attractive, right? Oh, now. yeah, absolutely. Especially because looking back over our shoulder, a lot of people that went into the market that propped the market up, it was simply because they could not live on zero percent interest paid by the bank and they had to take more risk than they wanted to. And so now that the uh, shoe's kind of on the other foot, if you will, in fact, I had a lady in here just yesterday and she was she said, so so rising interest rates are good. I said, well, if you're buying a house, no. no. I said, but if you're a depositor, yes. You know, mm -hmm. And so there's always, depending on where you are in life, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly. So you know, as my dad would say, you know, when you got an advantage, you got it by the tail and a downhill drag, is what he used to say. <laughs> so for years, people financing homes, building homes, refinancing their homes, were able to get lower and lower and lower interest rates. So that was a great time, right? Well, now we're on the other side of that. And now it's back to where... I hear all the time where people say, well, back in the 80s, my parents had CDs at 12%. Oh, yeah. We're not quite there yet, but we're headed that direction again. And so all of this loose money policy and low interest rate stuff has kind of come to a screeching halt. And there's always good somewhere. And so for a lot of our folks, I mean, they know right now that we don't think markets are done going down. Mm -hmm. And especially if he keeps pushing interest rates, he's trying to push the market down, push the economy down. Uh, if he raises interest rates, these money markets may go to five. And oh, who knows, yeah. they might go to five and a half percent. And I got to tell you, there's a lot of people that would say at five and a half, get me out. Which All is right. obviously yeah. going to put pressure right, on right. markets, on, you know, the housing markets, you know, a lot of different assets will have pressure on that. So that's why, you know, we've said on this show and we continue to say on this show that we're not sure that this whole debacle is over. I'll be the first to say that we're not 100% sure of anything. And oh, yeah. I think that anybody that says, that, oh, well, I know this is going to happen. <laughs> I would be very careful about yeah. taking advice from that person because the market is very good at humbling you. If you think it's going to go down, it can be good at humbling you by going up. 
and vice versa. And so I think that maintaining humility is very key in a market like the one we're in. Well, I've heard that cash is king, but we're finding out today in the show that cash flow, I think, is a bigger king, has a bigger crown than simply cash. We're talking with Randy and Jake here, uh, Floyd Financial Group. We're talking about creating cash flow in retirement. Some of the basic ways that you can create cash flow in retirement, of course, is just to keep working. That's one way. Another is owning a business or some sort of passive income source. What are some of the other sources that we can use to create cash flow in retirement? For example, passive income. Yeah, you know, so there's a lot of things that people can do, and I'm not going to say that I would, at this point in time, I'm not going to advocate for any specific thing. I'm just going to talk about the different options that people have. Okay. And it's like I said, because it's different for everybody. So, you know, if you wanted to, you can get into the rental business. Right. And, you know, rents right now are pretty high. I would say this, though, that from what I am hearing across a lot of people that are renting, and I'm talking now the residential side of things, you know, rentals can be a lot of work and can be a problem. And sometimes you can get a renter in your property that uh, let's say would be less than desirable and and leave you in a a bad situation. Mm -hmm. So there's rentals there. There's commercial property that you can get into, but even commercial property from its height, we think is still going to have a problem. In fact, I was reading some articles earlier this week that was talking about the very fact that people are not coming back to the office like they thought they would. And, you know, the bosses uh, at this point are not holding their feet to the fire saying, listen, we need productivity. You need to come back so you can be more productive. They aren't doing that yet. So, you know, commercial real estate space may be in for a little bit of a downturn as well. And we do know that overall the cap rates, the return that you can get for people that were building the dollar generals to the Burger Kings to the McDonald's and all that is much lower now. And with the cost of capital being higher, that just makes it that much more difficult. So we could get into something passive like that. Of course, we can always go into the stock market and in the stock market you have basically two avenues. You have growth stocks and then you have dividend paying stocks. So growth stocks, the way you make money there is the price has to appreciate. You have to sell shares to uh, reap that benefit and spend that money. Of course, the dividend paying stocks, uh, you can collect the dividends and try to live there. And then, of course, we have government treasuries. We have corporate bonds. We have, you know, all levels of of different types of bonds. Some are more secure than others. Of course, government treasuries have the least amount of risk. And right now, they actually pay some pretty decent interest rates. Then you can get into gold and silver, precious metals. You can get into commodities. But we don't deal in those areas very much. There's not a lot of cash flow to be had there either. There's not. And you got to know exactly when to buy and sell gold. And then when you buy it and sell it, they ding you on both sides. And so there's there's just certain things, and, and I hear people on the radio talking about, you know, gold is the way to protect your IRA. And, you know, while it has some value, like I said, it doesn't pay a dividend. you got to no. know exactly when to buy and sell. The commodities market, while, yes, you can make a lot of money there, and it's, it's a way to sometimes hedge, again, probably more risky and more volatile than, than we want to be in. I'd say probably it absolutely is. We don't really do anything there just because our people are mainly retired. So I think there's one other big one that is going to be a less popular one, which mm-hmm. is wages. Wages. And as you are <clears throat> retiring, you know, there are some people that we, we talked a little bit about what you're going to want to do in retirement. And some people need that sense of purpose that is derived only from work. Right. And, and or if you have not saved maybe as much as you would have liked to, you know, working 10 or 15, 20 hours a week can really help supplement your income to get you maybe out of a job that you don't love so much. And maybe you can go do something part time that you enjoy a lot more. So, you know, as far as cash flow goes, you know, wages is another one that, uh, you know, maybe a lot of people in or nearing retirement don't want to consider, but sometimes it needs to be considered. Yeah. Don't forget the good old J-O-B. I've always tried to have one since I was a kid and I've still got one today and it is one thing that I can count on is myself and I don't know I still go out and there are plenty of signs out there that say help wanted and more particularly they're looking for reliable people people who are going to show up and do a good job and I don't mean to make a political comment here but I think that older workers are very valued in that respect we're talking about cash flow in retirement how cash flow is king these days I want to backtrack a little bit you talked about real estate just a tad there and I've heard that they're not making any more 
more real estate. But Randy, you were right about that. I mean, when you get to be 65, 70 years of age, you're in retirement. The last thing you want to deal with is being an active landlord and dealing with toilets and tenants and trash because that can really sink you. But there are some other ways that you can get into passive real estate. We haven't talked about it a lot, but of course, uh, you can use the 1031 exchange and you can uh, exchange your property for like-kind property and then uh, do a Delaware statutory trust, which is going to be any number of different properties across the country that you do not have to manage. That is one way. But another, I guess I've heard about REITs, Real Estate Investment Trusts. Is that something that would be a possibility for cash flow and retirement? Uh, Yeah, for sure, Jeff. There's two classifications I would like to throw out there, though, when it comes to real estate investment trusts. There are those that are the the private type that are never going to go public or have not yet gone public. And so if you get into one of those that has not yet gone public, many times you buy in at 10 bucks a share. And yes, they may promise you four, five, six, maybe even as much as 7% distribution back on your money. But I will tell you, uh, you know, early on, I think the first really big real estate investment trust was Inland. And Inland was a group of school teachers out of Chicago that actually went together and started that. And they started building malls and everything else across the country, strip centers of all kinds. And they did very, very well. And their people that invested with them did very, very well. I will tell you that of late, I have not seen very many real estate investment trusts that I would give a plug nickel for just Mm -hmm. because they're extremely illiquid unless they're publicly traded. Number one, you got to go find the buyer. Number two, you will get your money back and a little return, but generally you will end up selling that at less than you paid for it. And that's been my experience looking at those things from all the people that bring them through the door early on in my career. We worked with some of those and we had okay outcomes, but we never really had the stellar outcome that it looks like you could have. I think that when it comes to REITs too, Randy, or any investment for that matter, it's important to keep an eye toward minimizing the amount of people getting paid from your investments. So if you think about a situation like a traditional advisor might use, you know, you're going to pay the advisor, then he's going to turn around and put you in a bunch of mutual funds. So you're going to pay the mutual fund company, which includes the people marketing the mutual fund, the, the corporate structure, housing it. They're going to pay their rent and all that kind of thing. And then you finally get paid, right? Here, because we manage all our money in-house, we can cut out a level of that because we're not going to go and buy a bunch of mutual funds that have individual managers and that kind of thing. But when it comes to like a REIT, REITs are kind of one of the biggest offenders of uh, everybody and their brother is getting paid out of your investment money. So if you think about how that works, ultimately you're going to buy real estate. You know, a lot of times it's apartment complexes or office complexes where people are paying rent. That's how you actually get the money on the other side. Mm -hmm. But somebody has has to develop the investment. They're going to pay regulators to have it registered. They're going to sell the investment. Then they're going to pay an agent to sell it to you. Then you have the management team of the property down to the people who clean the property, you know, depending on what kind of property it is, you know, the people, you know, trimming the hedges. I mean, there's there's literally six or seven layers of people getting paid before you get paid. So I'm not saying all REITs are bad. I'm just saying that, you know, ultimately when you invest money, it's because you want to get paid, not because you want to support a small village of people getting paid. And those are good points too, Jake. Remember that you could be at the end of the line uh, getting your paycheck if you invest in some passive real estate. We're talking with Randy Jake of Floyd Financial Group. The big question is cash flow in retirement. How do I create cash flow? Well, if that's a question you'd like answered, once again, sit down with Randy and Jake and get your no cost, no obligation financial plan and ask them about cash flow in retirement. Again, no cost and no obligation for that. Call 417-889-7233. 7233 no cost no obligation no judgment whatsoever you can also request your plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com gentlemen time for a break we'll come right back with more of show me the money right here on 104.1 fm ksgf where springfield comes to talk ready to climb a mountain of financial know-how good because it's time for more show me the money with your financial sherpa randy floyd Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about what's the difference between financial security and financial freedom. And that's a really good question, Randy. I've often thought about that. And when you really think about it and drill down to it, financial freedom to me means that you're totally free from financial obligations or you're totally free to really not need money. 
But then comes financial security, which means that you do need money, but it is secure. So that's my definition of financial freedom versus financial security. What is your definition? So I would say that for me, as I look at that and I think of financial freedom, Bill Gates has financial freedom. Right. Warren Buffett has financial freedom. Jeff Bezos probably has financial freedom. Don't use freedom. the Bill Gates name. It bothers me. <laughs> okay, I won't use that. Scratch Bill Gates. But not really. <laughs> but anyway. Take that um, out. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, you know, financial freedom to me means that, you know, I can do what I want when I want, and it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Financial security is I can see that I have a plan in place that's going to carry me through the rest of my life. So financial security, you know, is is the thing that we always want to try to deliver for people. If people are fortunate enough where they have been in, in an industry or a job or a career where they've amassed enough money to be what I would call financially free. And, you know, financially free, I mean, that's a, that's a really hard thing to describe, Jeff. Yeah, I think that my take on it is a little bit different. I think that financial freedom means within reason I can kind of do what I want. If mm-hmm. I need a new shirt... I can go buy it without having to budget it. Right. You know, if I want to go out to dinner with my wife and son, I can just kind of do that. I don't have to go, hey, let me check the budget and make sure that I have it available. Right. I, I don't know that it means that I have to be able to buy a mega yacht with my loose change. You know, I, I do think it is in the eye of the beholder, but I think that, you know, for me, it's it's can I reasonably do what I want to do when I want to do it? I yeah. think that's financial freedom. And, too. and I, think it's, I think it's as much a feeling as anything for people because, you know, my grandma, Maggard, would have said that she was financially free and she lived on Social Security. Mm -hmm. She had a bunch of grandkids and she always sent us a dollar on our birthday inside the card. Mm -hmm. And we knew we were going to get that and we knew that we would get a Bible verse for sure. Right. And, you know, every time. So... She felt financially secure to do that, and she always did, and she never really lacked anything. She was always, you know, always had everything that she needed. But, you know, again, for some people, the way she lived would not, you know, (laughs) be financially secure. You know, people think, man, I'm I'm living on a shoestring. Well, and I think right now, you know, if you can't afford your double chai mocha bubble tea latte (laughs) every day, you know, you you feel kind of... uh, kind of like you're lacking it. I always, oh, yeah. we make these jokes around the office and I always, somebody will say something like, well, you know, they're, they're very upset about some very minor thing that's major to them. And I'm always like, yeah, that's first world problems. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, my TV is only 65 inches. I mean, I am exactly. poor. Are you kidding? I've only got three streaming services instead of six. So I think a lot of people confuse financial freedom versus financial security. Do you find that? So some people think they're financially free, but they really don't even have financial security. Well, I think that, you know, most of the people that we see in here have lived life, you know, when they're 50 and 50 years old and older. And so they've uh, been to the puppet show and they've seen the strings, right? Right. I think as I'm reading about some of the Gen Zers and people that are that are coming up, they still have some things to learn for sure to mm-hmm. understand what I think I told you one time before I was reading this article that said basically that the Gen Zers said to be financially secure the way they want to live while they're working, they needed $170,000 a year in income. Mm-hmm. And then they asked those same Gen Zers how much money they would need to save to live comfortably in retirement, and they said 105000 So. That sounds like the math. The of math doesn't. <laughs> math doesn't quite work there. I'm trying doesn't to compute. Work I'm out. trying to compute they, that here. It's just not happening. Yeah, I, they I asked the if, boomers the same question, right? And the boomers said, on average, they thought they would need seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars in savings to mm-hmm. retire comfortably. And that's closer. I think that's still probably shy of what they're envisioning in their minds, you know. But if you're 25 today and you know you live a decent lifestyle, I mean you're going to need four or five million dollars. I mean, you're going to need a lot of money 60 years from now. And I think that there's a lot of people underappreciating that, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to be a little cavalier here, but I think a lot of the boomers succeeded in spite of themselves mm-hmm. where they did not save maybe as much as they should have, but they were the beneficiary of the largest expansion this world has ever seen mm-hmm. in the very beginning of their careers. And then right at the end, right before they retired, they had another gigantic run up in the market. And I think, you know, not to take anything away from them, but there's a lot of people that saved a hundred thousand and turned it into a million. And I'm not sure that that situation is going to exist again looking forward. 
So it sounds like being financially free versus being financially secure, two different things, and financially free may be a very lofty goal for a lot of folks, so let's concentrate on being financially secure. What are some of the tools or methods that you can use in your practice to help people get to financial security? Well, first of all, you know, the, the thing I would tell anybody listening to this show right now, and again, most of those people are 40 plus, I'm sure, you know, is be sure that you are saving money. Be sure that you're getting your 401k match. Be sure that any retirement type vehicle you can put money into at this point, you should do that at least up to what the company is going to match for sure, because free money is always good. And here's the thing that we know. If we look back over our shoulder and we really look at all asset classes, If we look at traditional asset classes for investing, so we're looking at gold, we're looking at silver, we're looking at the stock market, we're looking at bank interest, fixed interest rates, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, You know, the market over the last, you know, roughly 40 years has produced about a 4,000% return. Gold has produced about a 500% return. Same with silver. You know, if you had a 6% guaranteed interest rate account, which a lot of people would say, you know what? If you just give me a 6% guaranteed interest rate for the rest of my life, I would take that. There's a lot of people that would. And so if you look at that and you project that out over the 40-year period, you know, they end up at around 800% more. So as we look at it, the fact that the market has outperformed all those other asset classes, we'd have to look at land. Real estate, obviously, is a good investment. If you have time to buy and hold Mm -hmm. and if you buy it in the right spot, right? Right. So there's still places. I have people come in once in a while. They said, yeah, you know, we went down and we looked at this place that we're going to build a housing development and they sold us these lots and they're like acre lots or half acre lots, you know, and they've had them for 30 years and they're still worth $2,000. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so so real estate doesn't always appreciate. But I mean it does for the most part. So, you know, when we look at it, the market is how business gets done. If you really need to borrow money and you go to the bank, how much money will you get? None. Right. <laughs> because they're not going to take a big risk. They're there to loan money with minimal risk to make a profit. If you have a good business idea and a business that has some legs and you take it to Wall Street to get them to take a look at it and to do an IPO, they're going to underwrite that. They're going to take it, get some money from their initial investors. They're going to go out there and search for you know people that are interested in that type of business and then offer an IPO. And then when it goes public on the market, they come in, they buy, and then every thing we see after that is traded on the secondary market. So that's the NASDAQ, the Dow, the S&P that we look at every day, how those averages play out. So people say, how do you know the the market will ever be good again? It's because it's how business gets done. There's about 7 billion of us on the planet. And the fact that we're just here eating, living, sleeping, and breathing creates business. We're talking with Randy Jake Floyd, Floyd Financial Group. And our subject this uh, segment is about financial security, how it's different from financial freedom. Randy, I always love your stories and I love the things that your dad said and your mom said and your grandma Maggard said. I mean, one I hadn't heard earlier, you talked about dragging something by the tail downhill. What what was that one? I, I forget that one. My dad used to always say, yeah, they got it by the tail in a downhill drag versus having it by the tail or the head in an uphill drag. In an uphill drag. (laughs) I love those sayings, but you've got a story I want you to tell about ham. What is that story? Well, this is really, at this point in time, probably not pertinent, but it is still still kind of a funny story. You know, sometimes when we go out on the internet and we look at things or we're reading certain, you know, things, maybe in, in print, maybe you get something in the mail or maybe you're reading a book. Sometimes you have to be sure that you're taking everything in the right context. And unless you're educated maybe in that area, you can't be sure that you are. Mm. And so the story comes up, and, and this is very simple, but it relates to everything that we do in life, especially when it comes to finances and things. So there was a story about this young lady who grew up, and she was trying to learn to cook Thanksgiving dinner. Mm -hmm. And so she was there with her mom and they were making a turkey and they did, they had the cranberries and they were making stuffing and all that, all that. And then it came time to fix the ham, right? Mm -hmm. So they pulled out the ham and they have one of these buffet hams, you know, that's the one that's kind of long and then it's oval on each end, you know, and they had one of those, they took it out and and uh, they were getting ready to, to put it into the roaster, and they were doing getting all this glaze mixed up and everything for it and getting their clothes ready to stick in the top of it. And so mom took it out, and then she cut the end off each side of the ham, and then she put it in the roaster and, you know, put it in, and they baked the ham. After that, the daughter says, I understood everything that you did, but what's the trick with cutting the ends off the ham? 
And she said, oh, that's not anything with the recipe. It's just that those hams never fit in my roaster, so I had to cut the ends off to make it fit. So, <laughs> so and I know that's really, like, crazy, but I've never forgotten that story because sometimes when we see people do things and we don't understand the reason why, you know, we're scratching our head, right? Right. And it's the same way in this business. I remember when I was first learning about all the different financial tools and everything that were out there, you know, some days I would go home and I would be yeah, I'm scratching my head today. I don't know why they did that or why that happened. But uh, I just thought that story was interesting because she was just sure it had to do with something to do with the recipe. Right, very but no, complex. It was just because mom's roaster was too small. Right. <laughs> so don't make it too complicated. As far as financial security goes and uncomplicating it, Randy, I've heard this, and I want you to give me your opinion on this. Simply spend less than you make, save some money, and live below your means. Is that the key to financial security. I would say that that covers the vast majority, the vast majority of, of it, it, for so, sure. So just break it down, make it very, very simple. Live within your means, save money. And then the other one is, in life, you have to take a risk, but always only take the risk that you can stand to take. Right. It is a calculated risk. We're talking with Randy and Jake here, a Floyd Financial Group, talking about the difference between financial security and financial freedom. If you would like to try to achieve financial security or financial freedom, simply get in touch with Randy Jacob Floyd Financial Group and talk about it in a sit-down session. We call it our retirement roadmap or our complimentary no-cost, no-obligation retirement plan. Again, no-cost, no-obligation, no-judgment. To get yours, 417 889 7233-417-889-7233, or you can request it online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, gentlemen. When we come back, we'll talk about the five-step process, what to expect when you call Floyd Financial Group for your consultation. All that and more when our show continues here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready for a heapin' helping of some more real talk? Thought so. Here's another serving of Show Me the Money with your server, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Show Me the Money. This is Randy Floyd along with Jeff Shade here to finish up today. Jeff, we're going to talk in this segment about what does it look like to come in and have a visit with Randy and Jake. That's right, Randy, and I often on the show tell people to get their no-cost, no-obligation, no-judgment financial plan to call 417-889-7233 or request it online at floydfinancialgroup.com. But I know a lot of people are still reticent to do that because they just don't know what to expect. So we're going to break that down here a little bit. We're going to go behind the curtain just a little bit. As you said, you're going to see the strings on this puppet show. What is the first thing that happens when people call that telephone number? I would imagine they're going to talk to Ashley first, right? Most likely that's who they will talk to. However, I will tell you that whoever picks up the phone can generally book a meeting for people if they want to schedule a time. Everybody has uh, my calendar uh, on their computer, on their desk, and so they can get you a suitable time there. Anybody can do it. So if you don't get Ashley, which you will most of the time, anyone can do it. So once that time is set up, we will, of course, send you out a reminder either, and we have people today, that a lot of people want to be have the reminder texted to them or emailed mm-hmm. rather than mail, you know, because let's face it, the mail is not quite as reliable as it used to be, oh, right? But no. anyway, oh, no. anyway um, we will send you a reminder. We do for everybody because we know that life happens and things change. And, you know, once the meeting is set, if you have to change it for some reason because something has happened in your life, you know, not a major deal. Just give us a holler and we will reschedule and get it into a suitable time for you. So at that first meeting, when people walk in, first thing they're going to see is they're going to see Ashley there in the reception area. And, you know, if you're a little early, she'll get you something to drink and, you know, sit you down in a nice, comfortable chair out there until your time comes around, at which time I will come out and pick you up and bring you into, we have a we have most of our meetings up in the front conference room up there, and it's some pretty comfortable, and, you know, we got a big table there in front so you can lay your stuff out that you brought with you and to talk about, and it's just a real comfortable environment. And really what we're going to do, first and foremost, is just, you know, get to know people and right. really learn what's important to them and And then most people want to know, okay, so what's Floyd Financial Group all about? What are you guys doing here? How do you make your money? Where does my money go? How do I know you're not Bernie Madoff? (laughs) All (laughs) of those. Who made off with the money. Yeah, I know what you mean. That's right. Those different (laughs) things. So it's just getting to know people and really what's important to them and then trying to get them to have a comfort level with us to see who we really are. That's what Discovery is about. 
And again, I want to point out that there's going to be no judgment here. This is a no-tie zone. It's a very casual thing. And Randy, in these conversations, this first meeting, you don't lead with product. You don't come in and then five minutes later say, well, you need an annuity. Really, you've got to get to know the people, their hopes, their dreams, their uh, goals. It's sort of like really just a visit with a friend, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. And, you know, for people that we've had as clients for the last 10, 15, 20 years, I mean, they're almost like family now. Right, I mean, right. I mean, they just they just are. And, you know, we, they'll call up and say, hey, you know, I saw this thing, you know, and what, what do you what do you know about that? Or, you know, hey, I'm thinking of buying a new car. Well, what do you think about that? How, should I pay for it? Should I finance it? You know, can I get zero interest? All, all those different things. So we get all kinds of questions here, not just strictly about investing, because, you know, we're kind of, you know, involved in people's lives a little bit here. Also, we have, you know, in the building, we have guys that do taxes. We have right. elder care planning. You know, we have a law office in here. We have Tony who helps with Medicare and health insurance and all that sort of thing. So, you know, if people want to use those services, they can. They don't have to by any stretch of the imagination. But if they want to, it's kind of a nice one-stop shop type situation. So, Randy, when I first come to Floyd Financial Group for my initial meeting there, what do I bring? Do I bring nothing or do you require to bring certain documents? So that's a good question. When we send out your confirmation, we will send out a letter or in the text or in the email that talks about the things that you might want to bring with you. You don't have to bring anything with you. I want to be clear about that. But if you want the meeting to be as productive as possible, and let's face it, all of us today are, we probably don't have extra time on our hands, right? We're, if anything, we're probably a little short on time. We'll give you a list of things that we would suggest that you bring so that we can be sure and make that meeting as productive as possible out of the gate. And Randy, if uh, it's a married couple or maybe it's an older couple and maybe they've got an adult child, do you encourage people to come as couples or bring their children? What do you think? If they want to bring their children along, I invite that. It's perfectly fine with me. That way everybody's on the same page. One of the things that we hear here all the time is the fact that many times the children do get involved with mom and dad here, and we get to know them, and they get to know us, and it makes it a comfortable transition time, you know, when something does happen to mom or dad, and we have to process the inheritance and, you know, the getting the beneficiaries all of their inheritance. So, Randy, that first step is called discovery. Is that about an hour meeting, something like that? Generally, it's going to be about an hour. I always slate 90 minutes because, and you may have heard me say this before, I'd rather have more time and not need it than to need more time and not have it. So that's the discovery process, Randy. And at any point, I would imagine that the client has a chance to say, I don't want to go any further. But if they do want to go further, they want to go beyond discovery. The next step is called analysis. What's that all about? Right. So during that first meeting, many, many times people will bring, you know, their retirement plans and all their information with them. So as we get to the end of discovery, we kind of talk about, you know, what they've amassed over their lifetime. Do they have a pension? Do they have, you know, what's their social security going to look like if they've logged into it recently? Sometimes they haven't. We'll talk a little bit about a budget or maybe that's a homework assignment for them sometimes to think about that. Not that we're just trying to put people on a budget, but we have to kind of know where we are, you know, two levels of budget, I call it. And that is, what does it take? to keep the lights on and keep the family fed? And then what do we want to do in retirement to have some enjoyment and do some traveling or whatever it is that's important to them? So during the analysis process, we're gathering a lot of data and a lot of information. And after we've done that and we've we've talked about budgeting and all those sorts of things, we will then many times have people back for another meeting. In many cases, to do this process is a four-meeting mm-hmm. process. And then, of course, I mean, it, and it might be more than that. We had one, I think, the most we've ever done for one couple was we we had nine initial meetings before they decided to do business with us, you know, mm. and that's fine. Yeah. You know, they had questions and they were uh, very conservative and just, you know, very cautious and, and that's okay. So there's the discovery, there's the analysis. The next step is the planning process. This is where you really sort of get down and really do a lot of calculations. Right. So basically what happens during the planning process is we know now how much money people have to work with. We know what their income requirements are. We know what's important to them, how they want to spend their money. We kind of look at, you know, are we going to have some major purchases coming down the road or not? We know we're going to have to have a new car or a new pickup or something every so often. You know, there's there's going to be repairs to the house and things of that nature. 
nature that need to come down the pike as well. So we kind of try to factor all that sort of stuff into the planning. And then we also just really then look at each of the investments we want to start with. And we're going to then show people at that meeting exactly what we're investing in and why and what the outcomes are. And again, we talk about this all the time that we have to build plans knowing that there's going to be financial good times, Mm -hmm. mediocre times, and bad times. And we need to survive all of those. So when we build plans, we'll talk about how, you know, a down market is going to affect their portfolio. We'll talk about how an up market is going to affect their portfolio. And we're going to look down the road 25 years or so to see how things project out. Now, these, I mean, they're not in stone, obviously, but we can learn a lot from history. And and we can also learn a lot and explain a lot to them about how the portfolio is built and why it will stand the test of time and any kind of financial weather. That's right. Financial storms. I mean, we're in a financial storm right now, and the forecast is for more financial storms in the future. So you want a plan that survives no matter what the financial weather is. The next one, after the planning, if, if everything is still a go, this is the implementation. What's involved with that? So the implementation phase, and I often tell people this too, you know, it's not like we get to the end of planning when we go, when we go okay, are you going to do this or not? I mean, that, that conversation never comes up. What it really gets down to is by the time we get there, people are either, and we've been through the planning phase and we've explained what we're going to do, they're either, okay, yeah, what's the next step or not? And I will tell you that you know, the vast majority of the time, we go ahead and we implement a plan. And so we want to make it as easy as possible for people. And so what we do is we do all the paperwork. If there's a phone call to be made to the 401k plan, or if we need to log on to help people do a rollover from their 401k, or whatever, we help with all of that, monitor the process, follow up on the process and make sure everything gets handled and moved over. And then once that is done, we implement, you know, the investments that we talked about, get that going, have people back in, get them their logins all set up, get them comfortable with looking at their statements and everything out there. And then we schedule the last step, step five, and that is our initial 90-day follow-up or monitoring of the plan. And that's the 90-day follow-up. And then after the 90-day follow-up, do you follow up every 90 days, every six months, every year? How does that work? It depends on what people want. Generally, we want to meet with people, even our our old-time clients that we've had for a couple of decades in some cases, we meet with them at least once a year. Now, during the year, I may have three or four or five phone calls with them. You know, they may have a question about something, you know, and they just, you know, we know each other now, and it's not like, you know, they have to be across the table from me to ask me a question, right? Right. But we like to have at least one formal review per year. And then depending on the client and what they want, we have some people we meet with every 90 days. Generally, after people have met with us and, you know, probably three or four times, 90 days apart or a year into the process now, we probably go to a a six-month type review is what most people are. And then we have some that right away just say, no, you know, once a year is fine with me. If you need to tell me anything, call me. If I have questions, I'll call you. So it's pretty informal. But I do want to make sure one of the things that we're really trying to implement now is every time I have a meeting with somebody before they leave, I want to schedule that next meeting before Mm -hmm. they leave so that we all know when the next time is. And Randy, I always say there's no judgment at Floyd Financial Group. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, everybody's money's important. There's no big eyes and little U's, as my grandma used to say. We all put our pants on one leg at a time. So, you know, I would say this, whether you have a lot of money or a little money, if you got a little bit of money, that's probably more important than the guy that has a whole stack of money, you know, because you got to make sure that your money lasts and works for you as best it can. And so, yeah, you know, I I grew up in Bradleyville, Missouri, a population 91 Mm -hmm. and we had cattle and hogs growing up, you know, and so did my granddad, and my dad yeah. drove a truck for a living and stuff. So we're we're no uh, silver spoon jaded, yeah, <laughs> you know, group here. But uh, we're we're just thankful for the clients that we have and the right. business that we're in, and we really enjoy it on a day to day basis. And we want people to have a great and good, enjoyable experience when they come in to sit with us. If you would like to take advantage of this opportunity to have a no cost, no obligation, no judgment financial review and financial plan with Floyd Financial Group. Very simple to do that. Call 417-889-7233. Get in
and sit down with Randy and Jake and talk about your hopes, your dreams for retirement, a retirement in which you not only survive, but you thrive. Again, 417-889-7233. You can also request your complimentary plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Randy, I've enjoyed my time with you. Tell Jake I enjoyed my time with him. I know he's off playing with his Jerome Powell bobblehead this morning. (laughs) But anyway, for Randy and Jake, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out. Have a great weekend here in the last bastion of sanity. We'll talk again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk.